day on Off Talkle Empire. It's time to, once again, we are getting on to about the time of the year where one generally expects to hear preseason prognostications for the outlook of the Iowa Hawkeyes. So we've got that going for us. I hope, I certainly hope this podcast gets up at a reasonable hour. Today on Off Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire. That represents every ounce of hard work. Given in the classroom, in the weight room, in the community, on the practice field, in the weight room, in the community, in the weight room, in the community. Welcome back once again to Off Tackle Empire, the biggest tennis college football podcast out there. Uh, we are talking about all 16 of the teams that are represented on SB Nation, so you know, 14 of them. Uh, but right now, man, once those California schools come in, we're going to have to start doing these podcasts in like March. <laughs> we're not going to have an off season at all. Well, like, now we'll spend a couple minutes on each one. I'll say Lincoln Riley's a son of a bitch, and UCLA is going to underachieve again. <laughs> well, after a while, though, don't your expectations get set to a point where even just being kind of mid like they are is meeting expectations? I mean, it's, you know, well, when I say if you consistently I mean relative to their talent. I mean, sure. It, I, although I don't think they're really putting out the NFL talent they used to. Like, that is something that Chip Kelly's tenure has not had in common with his Oregon days at all. Uh, really not, but when you consider that the Pac-12 is not especially deep and they are recruiting top 30, um, it, it, it leads, leaves a lot to be. Yeah, and it's not uh, like USC's been in their way. Anyway. It, it fits in with the with the macro narrative. But anyway... We do technically have to talk, I guess, about Iowa. You know, honestly, because it's now Tuesday as we're recording this and we could not pin down any of the Iowa writers, I was really tempted to just kind of not bother with this and literally just copy and paste our, like, just republish our episode from last year. Um, it, it, maybe edit in an intro to clarify that it's the year 2022 in some way shape or form we kind of could have um the other thing of course and we pointed this out a couple episodes ago well i don't remember if it was the minnesota or wisconsin one where we pointed it out but the big Ten west previews in particular are getting pretty formulaic at this point it's basically just like grinding in a jrpg that set the difficulty curve a little bit too steep so you're never quite where you need to be as you progress so you have to stop and kind of go through the same things over and over again and man do i wish my team got to play in a division where one team out of seven throws the damn ball at all and nobody else even pretends to like what a charmed life to be able to plot along with one of the worst offenses a sub 100 offense in fbs and still win the division um so iowa got back to indianapolis last year they did it riding superlative special teams and defense with truly incredible turnover generation percentages. Um, coming out of the gate looked impressive, beating what was supposed to be a pretty good Indiana team. Um, taking, you remember how going in the last season, Iowa State was a top 10 preseason team? <laughs> well, that didn't last long. Um, Iowa took the Cyclones' most hyped season, arguably ever and sent them into a tailspin they never pulled out of. So that's satisfying and a thing that you know, a lot of people haven't really brought up a whole lot. The other thing is they, they take on a top five Penn State team and sent them into a nosedive. Penn State ended up seven and five in the regular season. Well, to answer the... about Iowa State, it feels like some other Big 12 headlines have really kind of stolen the show in the aftermath of that, whether it be you know, whether it whether it be Lincoln Riley very conspicuously not coaching his team anymore and then fucking off, um, or, you know, the Big 12's attempts to stay afloat in the era of conference piracy, uh, it, it, it feels like Iowa State was the Big 12 story going into last year, 
And then a whole bunch of noise drowned them out as they failed to rise above the level of Iowa State. Uh, and of course, you also mentioned, um, you know, Iowa sub 100 offense. Uh, the only difference between 2021 Iowa and 2018 Northwestern is the color besides black that they wore. Uh, if those two teams played each other and it kicked off the weekend after Thanksgiving, they would still be playing scoreless overtime right now as we speak. I kind of object to that. <laughs> I object to that comparison. Come on. They're not, they weren't that horrible to watch. I was, defense would have found a way. Quarterback, yes, I will give you that. That's fair. But Iowa's defense would have found a way to score. Hey, anyway, we have with us uh, Stu Monkey 13, the Iowa contributor that we uh, contributor. thought we were not going to get anything out of these guys. So it looks like it was definitely worth us calling this session instead of just rerunning last year's or the year before. I mean, it would have been okay. <laughs> like, I am the most essentially apathetic. The names don't matter. Like, it, nothing matters except the, the machine turns out the same thing every year. Every year. The offense will be terrible, unbearable to watch. They'll talk about it getting better, but then they'll say the offense is doing exactly what they wanted to do, which is the truth. The offense is doing exactly what they wanted to do, which is nothing. And it's terrible to watch. Yeah, I mean, at, at some point, one of these years, we're going to go back, we're going to like timestamp as we go. So like, all right, here's where the offense starts. We'll just go in, clip out the name Tyler Goodson and replace with running backs, you know, number 12 or what. So just go back and remove. We'll, we'll underutilized, underutilized, actually pretty good running back number whatever, like, or specialist number, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. There are there's some actual talent on the offense that just they have no idea how to use it. The only thing that the, that goes even for the offensive line, where they churn out amazing offensive line after amazing offensive line, first rounders every other year, and still somehow manage an offensive line that can't hold a block very well um, for an admittedly skittish Spencer uh, quarterback behind the line. So oh, yeah, and, and if we were to edit this podcast in such a way that it was modular enough to, to just slot in some stuff for next year, and it would end up sounding kind of like Madden, so we'd be like, yeah, you know, when you look at a quarterback like, when you look at a quarterback like Padilla with a 55.2% completion percentage, then... <laughs> You know, it's the combination of the low completion percentage and yards per attempt. Like, okay, so he has low completion percentage. That just means he's bombing away down the field, right? Not at all. <laughs> man, oh man. I just, I remember the days when the three yard out under Craig Davis was the complaint du jour. And since then, it's a little bit more diversified in the types of routes they run at least, but it's all still... Still same stuff, different day. Um, they as you run mentioned, the long routes, but they just don't have a pass to them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, <laughs> I mean, there were times where it's like, Petrus is such a, he's a big kid. He's got an arm, but then every time he takes a deep shot, it's like, oh, that was 10 yards over the guy's head. I, that's a remarkable percentage of the total distance of the throw that you missed the, the window by. Um, you mean exactly like it was under Stanley, who was also a very giant person who could throw the ball 60, 70 yards through the air, but always managed to hit, uh, overthrow anyone down the field? Yeah. Exactly and, the same. And, I mean, about all you can say is that at this point, Iowa's only got one NFL tight end instead of two like they did when Stanley was around. Um, no, and that, well... Laporta is the obvious one, but they're like Lachey is going to be an NFL tight end as well. Yeah, just I mean, probably in the mode of a blocking type. Although I guess it has to be said that when he was in Iowa, George Kittle was a blocking tight end too. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and the fact that you, that there's only one NFL tight end in Sam Laporta means that you will be seeing a lot more of Luke Lachey. 
Yeah, and Goodson, Goodson moving on, very understandable. I, I don't know why you would stick around to play in this offense when you could go and try to get paid. They'll be okay at running back. Um, Gavin Williams got some run down the stretch, and his per carry averages are basically the same as Goodson's. Maybe not quite the backs. same receiver yet. Yeah. I mean, uh, Gavin Williams is a bit bigger. Tyler Goodson had a lot more wiggle to him and could actually run the zone uh, pretty well. But yeah, when everybody knows it's coming, it's still not that effective. So to um, so here's a, here's going to be one of those reusable bits. The, the question, as always, is going to be, how long will Williams stay buried behind Williams at running back? Williams is obviously superior to Williams. You know, as, as of course, they back behind the lead blocking of number 36. <laughs> yeah. 38, whatever. That's what it is. That, hey, you know, probably the best fullback in the conference, arguably one of the best in the country in Monty Potabom. He'll be back. And the guy that they did get the ball to in a few ways last year, that was really like the handful of games where Iowa's offense were working tended to result in, all right, let's give the fullback a few carries. Like that's sort of how that's their victory cigar kind of play is a couple of fullback dives. Um, yeah, you, you need like three yards, he'll get you two yards. You need one yard, he'll get you two <laughs> yards, right? Yeah. There's also this uh, little um, – Oh, Spider Two! I banana to the fullback. Remember that from uh, yeah, <laughs> Andrew. Yeah, that's that's a that's a big old fullback uh, feature that the Iowa offense has. Yeah. Uh, in terms of other personnel, it's gonna it's gonna be a little dicey at receiver. Not that it's been a, an especially dynamic group, but Charlie Jones, who was a fantastic punt returner the last couple of seasons and worked his way onto the field with the offense, the tail end of last year, transferred. He's going to Purdue, um, and long once promising receiver tyrone tracy jr also transferring also to purdue interesting flex by jeff brom to go shopping in iowa's receiver room but why call not? It shopping because that's exactly what that was i'm not saying there is tampering but iowa hadn't set up their whatever they're calling the pay for play now yeah the um, collective yes the nil collective purdue had theirs done first and went shopping for some receivers and it's not as if Charlie Jones started at Buffalo and then came to Iowa as a walk-on, actually. Yeah. And so it's not as if he wasn't looking to move his way. Besides, it's not as if these guys aren't talented. Again, there's some talent even in the receiving room. Well, it's an easy pitch, isn't it? So, kid, yeah. oh, you yeah. play receiver, don't you? <laughs> would you like to catch the ball? Would you, would you like to receive the ball? <laughs> like to run routes, and then the quarterback hits you in stride. Yeah. Uh, although yeah. it, will, it will be said, if you play receiver at Iowa, you're going to learn to block. Um, and so Nico Regani is back in the slot. He's been all right, but kind of unremarkable. Um, they're going to be counting, yeah. Uh, yeah. counting on big sophomore seasons from Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce the fourth, who both had their moments. I mean, Keegan Johnson had a yes, couple they, of highlight real type plays. Yes, they were absolutely pretty excellent at times last year. Um, no complaints again. There's talent there. I just don't think it's ever going to be used. I still think uh, what uh, I always had a couple of um, NFL type receivers that just could never ever get used. I'm not saying that first rounder, but like, you know, could have a cup of coffee. Devon yeah. Smith, like from the 2015 season, had that big catch in the uh, championship game that year he was great but again you get like four targets a game yeah they mean do? amir smith marcet will have a chance with the vikings this yeah. year too so yeah. right it's it's not like they haven't had talent but it's again there was a lot of offs I, I think it was more hope than really like rumors founded on something like information that people had i think it was more hopeful discussion of Maybe they throw the ball to a young kid in Joey Labas along the lines of, you know, when CJ Beathard once upon a time took over for an incumbent. I don't know if we're ever going to see that again. Starting to feel like we're not. Uh, Petrus well, is going to be back was, and Padilla behind are, him. Yeah. Padilla and Padilla are both back, and there was some rumors going around this spring about, oh, coaches really like Joey Labas, right? There, there's, some, there's some rumors there. It's not going to happen. It's yeah. going to be Petrus again. It's just the way this this is going to work out. Uh, the only, yeah, 
the only reason why Bethard even got a chance is because his dad threatened to pull him and transfer, and so a decision had to be made, right? So, yeah. and it's and it's even at that be a time, transition. they still had Ken O'Keefe as the uh, quarterbacks coach at that time, and uh, he's the he's the one that convinced uh, uh, to go for. Stanzi over um, Chris, uh, oh, Christensen. No, Christensen no, back in 2008. Yeah, yeah Vandenberg was after Stanzi. Yep, Vandenberg was after Stanzi, and that's also when um, Ken O'Keefe left to join the Dolphins. And Vandenberg was never pulled in the worst quarterback year in 2012 that anybody has like ever seen. And so... There's no one here who can convince anyone to um, pull a starter. They, there's this talk of, well, yeah, you've got your uh, union card and you're in for life. And that's somewhat true. And the thing is, like, you could say, oh, man, well, Petrus is a senior, so at least that's the end of it. Not so fast, my friend, because remember, 2020 doesn't count as far as eligibility goes. Um, to finish up the talk about the offense, Offensive line is also going to be in something of a transition. They have all three guys who played tackle are back last year. They had their ups, they had their downs. Um, losing Tyler Winderbaum is a huge loss, and they also are going to be without Justin Britt, the projected left guard, all season after he had an injury That's in spring. A big loss. He's yeah. medically retiring, I, I believe. Oh too. wow! Okay, unfortunate. Yes. Yeah, he is. He was a beast when he was on the field. He was really, really good. He was a big, pretty big recruit too. So that's kind of that's a big loss. Yeah. So it'll it'll once again be some combination of Richmond and Plum and the Young at the tackle spots. Although I am going to say the depth chart that was recently put out um, is bad and wrong and untrue because one thing, um, All American, All Name prospect David Davidkov is not on it. Um, nor is the current reigning champion Redshirt. of yeah redshirt right redshirt freshman David Davidkov and and nor is the current reigning champion of the Solon Beef Days Bale Toss Jennings Dunker future first round pick book it you heard it here first yeah I think he's a guard I want to say because he's a young guy too. they're both uh, both those guys are redshirt freshmen. David Koff was also a pretty big recruit. I would expect him to climb into those uh, two deeps if possibly at, because uh, tackle, like you said, there's some depth of tackle, maybe in a guard spot where we're, you know, a little bit weaker. And I would expect someone at center to be able to step up. Center has just been a, uh, a, an overall pretty good position under uh, the Ferenci. Um yeah, currently penciled in there is Logan Jones, a guy who apparently hasn't played very much, but also came in as a defensive tackle, which is the story you heard with Tyler Linderbaum. That's not to say that he's going to have the same career arc. That would be a pretty high expectation to put on the kid, but uh, it's it's not like we haven't seen an Iowa interior offensive lineman come out of nowhere to be excellent before is the whole point. So um defensively there are a few losses here but this is the side of the ball where you know what you're getting with phil parker it's going to be extremely sturdy at all three levels develop guys patiently uh play almost entirely upperclassmen despite losing four-ish starters depending on how you count the sort of nickel versus third linebacker spot starting seven seniors and four juniors lots of depth lots of experience basically across the board um in particular, in the backfield. That's well. They have a few losses there. That is where Matt Hankins was a really good corner. Dane Belton made a lot of big plays out of their sort of nickel bandit, whatever you want to call it, linebacker safety hybrid. And then Jack Kerner, the other full-time safety, moves on as well. So three new guys in the defensive backfield. But again, you know they're going to be good. You, you. It's a resume thing at this point. It's. Wisconsin with their linebackers. It's Ohio State wide receivers. You can count on Iowa defensive backs being really damn good. Well, and the other thing yeah, is there's going to be some flashes from all these guys, right? Because Iowa does, you know, play some – you always have some flashes from the guys earlier on the depth chart to where, you know, to where, like, I know who Kayvon Merriweather and Riley Moss are. Um, and 
So the, the, I mean, those are the, the names. Those two are going to be all conference this year. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> like they're just they're going to be like uh, Riley Moss before he got injured last year led the nation in interceptions. Um, he's the one I think he got. I think he even had two interception returns for touchdown. One, I think, was one of those ones against, what was it, um, Maryland and possibly Penn State before he got injured? Um, yeah, I think so. And uh, they're just, yeah, the back seven's going to be really good. Riley Moss, is, he's, he's going to be next level, probably a third-ish round pick. Um, he struggled early in his career. He's one of those guys that's, that – Showed flashes of confidence, but got hit the field and struggled, but came around in the last couple of years. So, yeah, one of those uh, things in a sports video game where you just have one hideous matchup that makes it so that you can run a specific play and just every single time it has the maximum possible effect and there is nothing that they can do about it. It feels like right. that's like Iowa's defense really cheesed their stats a lot against Indiana and Maryland <laughs> in this way early in the season. Right, but we also played Purdue, which is the exact opposite. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the exact oh, you played you played the wrong you just called the wrong play like in old, old Techno Bowl, right? Yep. You played the exact wrong play and goes for a touchdown. That's Iowa versus Purdue because again, especially last year was early in the season, but Iowa plays zero man coverage. Yeah. I mean, zero. It is covered the whole time. And so it just, then they run it extremely well. It's like the Syracuse zone in basketball. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but if you can beat it, then there's nothing that's going to stop you. So yeah, you, they just kind of shrug and they're like, all right, well, it still works most of the time. So we're not really going to change it. But it, look, the good news there is that David Bell can't hurt you anymore. Um, no, the, only the- Tyrone <laughs> Tracy and Charlie, <laughs> Charlie Jones. Jones, right? <laughs> who presu- who presumably know a little bit how to run against the defense that's playing zone. So <laughs> right, like the over under I put on that is 250 combined receiving yards for them in that game alone, like well, or yeah, all I- purpose yards. I mean, yeah, I was gonna, Brock Thompson's the guy who I think is going to light the conference on fire this year for Purdue. But um, anyway, so we, we talked about the secondary, but the linebacking group, again, it's this thing Iowa does where somehow they always have multiple multi-year starters across the across the linebacking group. Jack Campbell could be in line for the kind of season you saw from like a Josie Jewell several years ago. You know, think back yeah. to any yeah think back to any of the big time Iowa linebackers you know 150 160 ish tackles um and the game the thing is the guys alongside him are just as good um Justin Jacobs and Seth Benson both really good linebackers the line has a um, the couple guy, there's a fourth guy uh linebacker that's also really really good um but I can't remember his name off the top of my head but anyway yes the linebacking crew is again this year and it's it's pretty the defense i have no worries about in general the line's going to be great too the ends are where i have some questions on on the yeah line. losing zach van valkenberg up front is obviously less than ideal but you're never going to keep everybody joe evans did have seven sacks last year and actually lucas van ness not even a starter at defensive tackle notched seven sacks as well so they have a little bit of depth and rotation the starter even tackles are nothing out of this world but they do what the defense needs them to do which is basically hold everything still while the linebackers run around and make all the tackles so again very deep very experienced you can expect the defense to be basically just as good as it was last year um, and if the new starters in the back end are even usual standard for iowa uh, they it could be every bit as good a defense as you've ever seen um, so the one thing you'll notice we have not mentioned a whole lot through this entire proceeding is uh it, new players, young players, impact players, and it's because it's just not I, just not Iowa's approach. Um, the recruiting class isn't bad; like it's numbered thirty overall in the composite. But it's just, man, the way they've constructed their depth chart, there just aren't that many spots where these guys can play right away. Um, Xavier Nwankpa, uh, an in-state five-star, is a guy that you could see right away. Well, at least he was a five-star when he committed, but then he had the misfortune <laughs> of going to a fan base that doesn't buy enough subscriptions to the recruiting services. And so his recruiting ranking fell accordingly. What are you going to do? 
nonetheless, huge prospect. They've got again with Dane Belton gone, there's going to be a new. I mean, I know they have guys lined up behind him, but he's the kind of athlete that's, I mean, like AJ Epinesa, for example, when he came in, it's not like they were totally bereft of bodies at defensive end. They consistently develop all over the place, but there are talents occasionally that will come in and make an impact right away. He's probably going to be that. Um, yeah. Um, uh, young players usually have a, a chance to get in in the game, especially at, like you said, um, the backfield or um, the secondary or running back. Those are usually the places where you'll see. Otherwise, most freshmen will get their two to three to four games that they're allowed to redshirt and and then stick with that. Most anymore with the new four-year or four-game rule, everyone's going to keep their redshirt. And that's just kind of the way it is. Yeah, and it, look, it's it's hard to argue with the results, really. Like It, it means that you're not going to have fancy new toys to play with in terms of freshmen. And I mean, even in the transfer portal, they picked up a guy from Lafayette, Steven Stilianos, who could be kind of their third tight end. You expect reporter to be gone after this year. So they'll need another guy. Um, but even he may not play all that much, um, which is not to say that Iowa won't run out some three tight end sets. So he could be useful, uh, but it, there's not going to like, not likely to be a lot of guys. Tight end sets. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Um, only other freshmen you could see in there, Aaron Graves is a top 400, um, overall prospect on the defensive line. I don't even know if he works out as a tackle or an end though. Um, who knows what they're doing there. So maybe just name to remember other thing I'm going to plant this flag right now. It's a particular pebble in my shoe. Remember the name Deshaun Lee, uh, defensive back from Metro Detroit, you know, outside the top 500 nationally, I believe neither Michigan nor Michigan state thought he was even worth taking a look at. Uh, he ends up at Iowa guarantee he's going to be a Thorpe finalist and get drafted in a few years. So remember the name of Sean Lee and remember I told you first. Well, no, I mean, just pick a random, uh, pick, there's, there's about four or five of them on the roster that are from the Met, Detroit Metro or Grand Rapids and two star with only uh, Mac offers and they're, Iowa turns out one NFL player of that variety about every year. So I wonder what the difference is between the Metro Detroit ones and the Grand Rapids ones. Just I don't wonder that at all. Just <laughs> music positions mostly. that they <laughs> well. Uh, but yeah, we'll take a look at the we'll take a look at the schedule here and see if we have any spicy mayo that would give our dear uh Plains friends, a little bit of Harper, and oh boy, South Dakota State right out of the gate. Oh, yeah. oh, geez, that's gonna need the gonna need the whole bottle of Tums. Should not have done that. Uh, and then after that, we have Alaska, of course, and uh, Nevada as the third non-conference game. So, man, on the one hand, Iowa State probably ain't going to be anywhere near as good as they were last year. And on the other, why would you play a Dakota? Gary Barnett was an idiot. <laughs> I mean, do you need another reason? I mean, it's, it's like it doesn't matter. He, he's got a, he's got um, tickets to sell. He's got uh, um, money. Just he's only got a certain amount of budget to of his millions and millions and millions of dollars to spend on uh, game uh, buy games. Then on uh, harassment lawsuits. The Big Ten's about to clear a billion dollars annually just in media rights. I, I refuse to believe. First of all, consider the fact that the risk of taking a loss on the opening weekend to South Dakota State. It, South Dakota State's better than half the teams in the MAC. Um, you really mean to tell me that you couldn't find, you know, Bowling Green or Ball State? Nobody wanted to come and play this game. I, I find that difficult to believe. Um, but yeah, it's that, that is what it is. That's a dangerous game. Uh, make no mistakes about it. And of course, again, with an FCS team, doesn't matter how good they are. If you beat them, nobody's going to give you credit for that. Like the, plenty of teams have beaten North Dakota state recently, but you can't name any of them because it's an FCS team. Even the, even the Alabama of FCS teams does not register nationally. So 
it's a weird choice. I wouldn't have done it, um, but it, it sounds like you wouldn't have. Been. I can't imagine many fans would have done it. Really want to see because it like again you mentioned the sell. Well, as I was doing the research for this, I saw Iowa has sold out all their home games this year already. It's not like they're hurting for fan interest. Like as, as difficult as the offense is to watch, they did win the division last year. Um, so it's not like they're hurting for fan interest. I just I don't see the upside there. Uh, crossovers in the conference are pretty tough. Um, the road game for Rutgers, not really what I'm talking about more. So, uh, home game with Michigan and then a trip to the horseshoe. Although I, I, people do forget. Sometimes people things forget. happen. People forget <laughs> that things sometimes happen when Iowa goes to Columbus. I, yeah, you know, it, who can say? Um, the thing is, does anybody, does anybody remember the last time Iowa and Ohio State is it even like, I mean, no one knows what happened, right? It's lost to the history. People forget. Urban um, Meyer certainly has no idea what happened. As he's, as he's repeatedly mentioned in several depositions. Um, the, the interesting thing about Iowa's schedule, of course, you know, you mentioned Rutgers. Well, that, that is also just a potential shade of Big Ten West in that they do have a defense <laughs> that can annoy you and they do have an offense that can't seem to do much of anything. Although, you know, if their offensive line retooling does anything, it gives Gavin Williams had a chance to do anything. But we're really just talking about the fact that they usually do have a solid secondary. It just usually doesn't matter because they can't stop the run. However, they could so be just annoying a- enough <laughs> on defense to where it's like, oh, God, another one of these games, huh? Yep. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter against Iowa if they have a good secondary. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Not really, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it, you know, Rutgers is also, again, even if they rebuild their offensive line in the turn of the season with the transfers, which they're trying to do, they still don't have any weapons that anybody's afraid of. They're still relying on either Noah Vedral or a freshman quarterback. I would not worry about that game. But again, with the way Iowa likes to play these games, it only takes one weird bounce of the ball, and suddenly um, the the old butthole is much tighter than you thought it was going to be. Um, the conference has wisely stacked most of the quadrangle games in November, so the games that are likely going to decide the West Division amongst Iowa, Wisconsin, I put Minnesota there, and I actually picked Nebraska to win the West this year because they have the talent to do it, and they can't. They can't keep doing what they did last year. That had that had absolutely can. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. So if that happens, I want I want to be noted for record that I manifested it because I have the withering touch in college fantasy like no one else. Steve will back me up on this, and so I yes, I have reached out and slid my finger of selection up the spine of Nebraska football. And if they go three and nine again this year and roll Scott Frost out of town, tarred and feathered, you will know who is responsible. So anyway, um, as we've said with pretty much every team we've discussed this year, I mean, really Iowa's biggest problem in winning the division this year is they play Michigan and Ohio state. And I don't believe anyone else in the division has that difficult of a crossover. That's a big disadvantage. The interesting thing about their schedule, though, is that it kind of gives them a lot of control of their own destiny because you have Michigan, Illinois, by and Ohio State in October, and then it's their other five divisional games all consecutively with no buys. So yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite like that as far as a divisional schedule is concerned. Obviously, you, you warm up with the easiest one uh, at home against Northwestern. And then you do the odd type one at Purdue. And then it's just, you play two mirror matches and then Nebraska. 
Yeah, it definitely feels like more of an eight four ish year than it does the ten and two ish year, right? No, you mean nine based on schedule alone. <laughs> That's a weird way to pronounce nine and three. <laughs> yeah, um, again, it, you know, there's there's no firmly established favorite in the West. Um, it really is one of those seasons where it feels like most of the teams are alive to some extent. Again, it like our old bit used to be anyone can win the big 10 West except Illinois, but they've pretty quickly chameleoned themselves like the rest of the division. So if things fall the right way. For my money, it's anyone can win the big 10 West as long as they're not based in Illinois, because now (laughs) Northwestern has joined us in this distinction. I'm sorry. I refuse to believe that Tommy DeVito is going to do it. Although Spencer Petrus did it. So why not big time Tommy? Touchdown Tommy. All right. Well, we'll pivot now to a little bit of round ball rock. So after coming out of the Luca Garza era with a lot of entertaining basketball, but nothing to show for it in terms of banners, you know, like final fours or conference titles, big 10 tournament titles, Iowa pivoted to the Keegan Murray show last year came. I mean, it's, it's not like he came out of nowhere. Like as a freshman, he was pretty good. But anyone who really told you they saw him being that good, maybe I'll sign Frank McCaffrey because, again, like he's kind of earning himself a little bit of a reputation for seeing the offensive star. Uh, but anyone who saw you told you that they saw a sophomore leap like that out of him, I asked them why they haven't bought a lottery ticket. Um, I was going to say, I, I think I mentioned last summer that, like, hey, I think he's going to make uh, be challenging for all conference. Like, and I think I was like probably a bit homerish at that point and probably didn't make a lot of sense. And I was still wildly off base. Yeah. Well, and you know, the thing that can be said is there were certainly a lot of shots to go around. Garza wasn't the only loss. You had Wieskamp go kind of ill-advisedly and stay in the draft. You had CJ Frederick leave for Kentucky. Those were three starters and three major impact players off of a very good offensive team. So there were going to be shots to go around. Um, It was maybe a little surprising that Keegan Murray ended up claiming as many of them as he could, but his results were absolutely unimpeachable. Absolute fantastic four-level score, hugely difficult matchup for most college teams. Um, And so deservedly so kind of go, I mean, he wasn't one and done, but in terms of the impact he had one fantastic season off the draft unfortunately unfortunately what all of his talent and effort got him was being drafted by the sacramento kings you hate to see it thoughts and prayers for keegan the days are rolling down on that rookie contract even now um but look at statistically, it's 23 and a half games, 23 and a half points per game, over eight rebounds. Split, shooting splits are about 55, 75, 40 on really high volume. Um, he's going to be a big loss. Um, also, less of a loss on the court than I think in like a vibes and program energy thing. Um, Jordan Bohannon finally rides off into the sunset. And a couple of Transfers who years. Yeah. Four more years. <laughs> <laughs> no, he and he and uh good old Brad Davison need to go um like tabletop old people walking around the mall or something. Uh, it's time, okay, it's sorry. time it's time for them to move on to their to new interests. You know what? Man, I would absolutely Agreed? watch a uh I would absolutely watch like a lethal a lethal weapon reboot starring Brad Davison <laughs> and Jordan Bohannon. <laughs> And while I get comparing them because, of course, around forever, like I three point, what like loudmouth, awful people, or whatever you think of them, there is a magnet. There's still an order of magnitude difference between. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Shots up on nut. Like there is, there is, there is. Weapon, right? Because Brad Davison's a loose cannon that doesn't give a damn about the Jordan Bohannon. Is far too old for this shit. Yeah, Jordan, man, it, right? Exactly. <laughs> Talk about far too old for this shit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, a couple of other rotation losses. Uh, Joe Toussaint had unfortunately kind of fallen out of the 
main playing group. He was still getting time, um, which is, I mean, when I saw him as a freshman, I really liked his game. I thought he was going to be one of those steady four-year starters, maybe along the lines of a Sap Clemens or something. Um, that never really came to pass. The playing time at the point kind of was never all that settled. Um, and then Joshua Gandele uh, opted to hit the portal as well. Never really worked his way into Gundelay's a playing back. rotation. Yeah. No, Gundele went to the portal, decided to turn around and come on oh, back. did he? I thought he had. Yes. Died. That would be why there was no destination. So that must have been pretty recent then. But at the end um, of the day, with, with even with with all of this, uh, you know, with such a huge part of the team departing, what you can hang your hat on is that you hung an actual banner. And even though the tournament went poorly as usual, hanging a banner matters. <clears throat> and yes, you stole that banner from blood rival Purdue. Again, I still have no idea how Iowa won that game against with no interior presence at all and produced giant men well, like never giving the touches. You, but, yeah, I, I mean, again, when we talked about it, I'm, Steve, I'm trying to remember if you said this or if it was someone else who tuned into the game, hadn't been watching, but came in in the second half and they just kept showing Zach Eady on the bench. Oh, it's that, like, that, that oh, man. That was tournament game. That was yeah, tournament yeah. Game that oh, played. yeah. And it's like, man, he must have four fouls or something. Nope. Zero fouls, just sitting his seven foot four ass on the bench. <laughs> so, uh, you know, painter gonna painter, man. He can gather all the talent he wants and he usually has quite a lot of it, but he's still got to be the one who coaches them in the big games. So anyway. Wisconsin and Iowa showed that for hanging banners in the Big Ten, it helps to have like, you know, like like a like a small forward that can score all the time because then it literally doesn't matter what your opponent does if you have one of those type of guys that's good enough. Yeah, I mean, analytically, there's something to be said. Yeah, there's something to be said for having a guy that – takes and makes the shots that opponents are willing to give them like there's we always talk about pendulum swing and football between all right well if teams are if lots of teams are running the ball everyone bulks up with lots of big heavy defenders and then if you run a spread you have a big advantage because they can't defend you that well same thing in basketball if defenses are now keying around stopping shots at the rim and three-pointers the mid-range is what's available and guys who can make mid-range shots are going to have a lot of good shots to take so yeah, it's it's maybe not terribly surprising. Um, when you look at this year's Iowa team, the obvious candidate to replace Keegan would be his twin brother, Chris, who had very similar shooting splits on much lower percentage, um, still put in about 10 points per game. It's, again, not fair to expect him to do 23, 24 points a game. But with higher shot volume, he could easily do 17 and there's enough other put, here that, you know. I wouldn't put 20 past him, honestly, because look at the games where uh, Keegan was out a couple of games. Uh, I remember at Purdue was one of them. And Chris stepped up huge and had, I think, 20 points and 20 plus points in a, a few of those games. So um, I wouldn't put 18 to 20 past him just because also in France, offensive system, someone's going to score 20-ish points per game. Yeah. That's kind of the way it goes. And there's so. there's really not another great candidate for it. I like their point guard combo with Perkins and Ulysses. Um, their yeah, other their other coming players, in too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, well, but here's my question: Does Murray have the potential to be at to be part of absolutely the best brother tandem that we've seen in a long ass time? Because uh, where even is the competition? Like yeah, I mean, not the Caffreys. Uh, I I would certainly <laughs> say that he's done better than Darius Paul taking up three scholarship years and never playing a, a single game. Oh boy, yeah. There's a is there even Caffrey, by the way. That's that's a very interesting thing to, you know, to maybe explore as we get closer to basketball season. Is where even is the competition for brother tandems? I have to think about it. Um, it's been a while since anybody that impactful. I mean, we're the same school, Trice. Yeah, there's that. Um, if you're going outside the Big Ten, the Harrison twins at Kentucky were really good, albeit on Kentucky teams that didn't win the tournament the way they should have. Um, there are the Morris twins and then the Southern Footers at Stanford. 
yeah, the Lopez's at Stanford, the Morris twins at Kansas. Like yeah, there have been a like, there have like, been a few. Like the, the the twenty-three or so Plumleys at Duke. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> sure. I they could probably have made a, a full a full 13 t- 13 man roster out of Plumleys at some point. Just a bunch of six foot eleven gangly dudes. Yeah, the Zellers are the same idea, just big goofy farm guys from Indiana. Um but <laughs> yeah, anyway. So yeah, Chris Murray feels like probably the most important player for Iowa next year because if he's not able to do you know seventy percent of what his brother did, there aren't really many other great candidates to do it next year. I mean, the McCaffreys are solid defensively, have their moments, but are still pretty bad outside shooters overall. Um, again, I like Perkins and Eulis. They have a couple of they have a couple guards coming in. There's just really not anybody else that you would look at as being the guy. Like Philip Rabraka is a decent body down low, but he's not a guy that's going to – he hasn't exactly showed you an offensive game like a Luka Garza. There's nobody else on this roster who's going to fill that role if Chris Murray can't do it. Well, yeah, because what's Iowa going to do? Not have somebody take more than half the shots? I mean, even going back, like the, uh, their offensive numbers have under McCaffrey have been – pretty great consistently but there's always they've always been a little bit top heavy too with garza and then like there was a year where uh jock and utah and i forget who the third one was off the top of my head marvel were they was that no because it was jock and utah and someone else Uh, marvel would have been before but yeah they've always been very top heavy in their scoring um and so yeah, I would imagine Chris is the one that, that comes up big there. Perkins isn't that. He's more of a slasher and somewhat defensive. I'm not sure. He, kind of a combo guard yeah. deal. Yeah. yeah. The good. So there's good news. Sanford. News. I mean, yeah, he's right. Sanford played a little bit as a freshman last year, kind of on the edge of the rotation. He's a guy that you would hope for a big sophomore jump out of. The, the good news for Iowa is outside of Chris Murray, nobody else shot at all. Like they have nobody else coming back who shot 34% from three besides Chris Murray. But the good news is we have consistently seen guys become better shooters during their time at Iowa. Sanford's an obvious candidate um, in terms of their new players. Yeah. In terms of new players, a couple of recruits, Again, Iowa's freshmen tend not to have huge impacts. They they redshirt guys fairly regularly. Like Morris, like really Iowa, Wisconsin, and Purdue are the only teams in basketball that regularly redshirt guys. Um, Desante Bowen could be in the mix at point guard right away. Um, Josh Dix is a shooting guard who could see the floor, maybe in a role similar to what Sanford had last year. You know, like your five to eight minute a game guy. We're gonna play you and get yeah. your eligibility. But yeah, not countdown injury right? this last year in uh, high school, like uh, multiple bad fracture of his leg. He's uh, just now getting back to like physical, uh, physical therapy. He had a real bad break in his leg last year, but he's a pretty decent recruit. Like uh, they'll get the best. They usually try and get one of the one guy from in state every year, and he'll be all right. But just not this year. That like he's he's a. Uh, a candidate for redshirt for sure yeah and it's, it's not like they don't have bodies on the way right I, between Sanford Perkins Ulis um if they play Bowen on or off the ball a little bit like they'll they'll be able to fill out a rotation all right the McCaffrey's are positionally versatile um it still feels like Murray is probably going to be the straw that stirs this drink but as we've said repeatedly in these offseason previews Big Ten is going to be down this year. Um, I think in most of the free, like you've seen Indiana as kind of the consensus favorite to it. Like, does anybody really think that roster is going to end up winning? I guess, but man, over 20 games, I just, they still can't shoot Uh, until they prove they can shoot. Like it's just, it's a roster construction. It's not a conference winner, but anyway, they're in like, they're ranked like number 15 and that's the best in the conference by a considerable margin. Like it's going to be, it could be a rough year. Um, although given the way recruiting has gone for Michigan State, I'm willing to endure one more probably really difficult to watch build year if it means that we have enough of a nucleus that injecting that 23 class into it gives Izzo one last run. Um, I think it's going to be rough again this year, but 
it's been man it's been a while since it didn't feel like there was a clear like i gotta if you want to call indiana a front runner that still doesn't mean that there is like a t- an established top tier of contenders like i don't know who else is going to be in that picture i mean Michigan will have the talent. Ohio State's brought in a bunch of transfers. They'll be good. Purdue has a lot of talent as well. But so many of the of the major players left from last year. It's going to be a wide open conference. Well, I'm looking forward to watching all these guards on Illinois uh, play for like between one and two years before transferring or hitting the draft, as <laughs> seems to be our thing now. Guards simply do not want to stay here for three years. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, we'll conclude our Iowa week episode here. Uh, any particular sign off thoughts here, Stu Monkey? Uh, Never would have seen it coming. <laughs> so it sounds like we're going to say that there is going to be yet another team that's going to finish eight and four. So is there going to be like yeah. somewhere there's going to be a team that finishes 0 and 16? Has to be. Well, we already mentioned Nebraska, right? You know, if anybody could find a way to do, yes, 0 and 16 <laughs> with a with like okay. a zero scoring margin in regulation. Yeah, yeah no, oh, oh. <laughs> no, no, it'll it'll be it'll be one. No, they'll 15. have a. Yeah, one in fifteen with a positive scoring mark. Yeah, yeah, somehow, somehow. All right. Well, I think that'll basically do it. Um, Steve, you want to wrap it up? Just one more year of the Big Ten West after this. Cherish every single second, every single ten-minute drive, every single punt from the opponent's thirty-two. In the way. In the community, in the Down. conference title game. Down five touchdowns in the conference title game. <laughs> Your source for big and call, it's off tackle, Empire!